so hello and welcome to another Collega Cymru uh, Talking FE podcast. Today we are here to discuss the new report, Can You Get There From Here, uh, where we discuss how education provision supports social progression and resilience for young people from deprived communities. So if you'd like to introduce yourselves. I'm Rachel Bowen, I'm Director of Policy and Public Affairs here at Collega Cymru. Uh, Lisa Thomas, I'm Principal and Chief Executive at the College of Both at Tidville. Uh, I'm Mark Lang and I'm an independent researcher. Fantastic. So I think it's probably best to start with what the report's about. So Mark, can you give us a brief background on the report? I can. And I guess it's it's important to start from the perspective that this report came from a conversation about whether or not it's easier or more difficult today as a young person from a deprived community to go on the kind of social progression that, that, that I have had and many others have had here at Collega Cymru. And that is a route from a working class community and family where no one had previously been to university mm-hmm. um, to the route that I took um, uh, rather unconventionally actually and as a slightly mature student through further education and then higher education to eventually getting my PhD which was quite unusual for me. And So the question remains is it possible, is it harder today as that kind of young person to make that kind of social progression. And and when I did the research for this report, I think I found that actually it was more difficult today for young people to make that progression, and that it's going to be increasingly more difficult um, as time goes on in an uncertain economy where the future of work is uncertain, um, and actually where we're facing an ecological crisis, which is asking some quite serious questions about what kind of economic activity uh, governments here in Wales and beyond can actually allow and permit um, to take place. And so there's an uncertainty surrounding the future of work. Um, against that background, all the data seems to be suggesting that educational attainment rates um, are, are not as high um, as they were. We're not making as much progress as we were throughout the late 1990s and early 2000s. Um, and whereas some of the gaps are actually closing in terms of degree attainment rates, uh, the gap at postgraduate level is certainly not closing. And so, in a sense, this, this piece of research, this report, seeks to kind of open up an area for discussion about some of the mm-hmm. issues that surround that. So I suppose I open this up to everybody, really. Where does further education colleges come into this? So we've identified the issues that are arising, the barriers that young people face. Where, where do FE come in and what are their responsibilities? Okay, so I think one of the key messages arising out of the report was that um, you recognise the role of FE colleges as these anchor organisations within the communities. I think it's important to recognise that that out of the 13 FE colleges in Wales, they're all very different, um, you know, ranging from very small tertiary colleges like my own um, to much larger uh, regional um, powerhouses in many ways. That being said, um, I think there is a huge role for FE colleges and I think it's a a role that is growing um, and there are clear expectations from Welsh Government in regard to FE's contribution to not only um, upskilling our adult population who may currently be unemployed um, and who may have qualifications below that of level two, um, but also upskilling our adult population to achieve in those higher level qualifications. But in addition then, our responsibilities to our 16 to 18 year olds um, to encourage that um, sense that they can achieve anything, um, but recognising that they may need to be 
travelling out of um, the areas and the communities which they currently reside um, to access those those highly skilled, well-paid jobs of the future. I think one of the things that struck me when we did the seminar on this just, well, I think it was just last week, wasn't it, were the challenges that today's young people seem to face. So that obviously the world is changing rapidly, the world is a very different place. But I think part of the discussion we had um, last week was about you know, kind of the challenges of health, and not just mental health, but physical health, about how we motivate learners, how we encourage learners, how we make them think that you know, kind of the future is theirs to develop, when actually we can see from, I think it's one of the stats in the report, that a certain amount of people um, kind of referred to as millennials think that it doesn't matter how hard you work, some people will never achieve their full potential because of the circumstances into which they were born. Mm. And that has a, a significant impact, I think, on well-being. I mean, you mentioned health, and clearly health is part of well-being. It's, it's, it's not the whole thing, but it is an important part of it. And, you know, in, in Wales, we're supposed to be leading on, on, on well-being and policy responses to well-being. Um, and, and yet we have, um, I think it's fair to say, a, an education policy system um, which has been designed um, to create a more competitive, um, potentially more economically resilient nation in Wales, instead of actually being something which is more focused on developing well-being amongst our younger people and our population more generally. Um, and I think it's time, uh, and I think one of the things that I've tried to suggest in, in this discussion paper, is I think it's time that we shift the balance away from, in a sense, uh, upskilling um, and providing a kind of uh, a credentialised route for young people to enter into a, a an, edu uh, an economy which seeks to attract inward investment, which may or may not arrive, um, and, and more towards a kind of well-being dynamic that actually creates learning dispositions um, amongst young people and builds up their personal resilience within this 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 more. Uh, an increasingly uncertain economic future that we're all now facing. I think the, the you know the new curriculum for Wales, um, for primary and secondary schools, um, is you know deliberately trying to sort of tackle some of those issues and, and create those dispositions. I think the challenge will be in regard to how far Welsh government will be prepared to go, particularly when you get to current key stage four and then post sixteen arrangements as well they will have the courage of their conviction to maintain that philosophy um, where there's currently a culture where we have to be able to measure outcomes and um, compare ourselves with others not just um, regionally um, and nationally in Wales but also internationally um, so I think that's going to be an interesting development to, to watch in the coming you know months. It's, it's almost um, as though um, Welsh Government is trying to ride two horses here. You know, we've, we've on the one hand we've got this kind of interesting stuff going on in terms of development of the foundation economy, etc., in terms of, you know, new initiatives, in terms of the curricula, and this well-being legislation, all of which, you know, is interesting and potentially globally leading. But on the other hand, you've got this this, this, this kind of reluctance to give up a notion of what the economy is and should be, you know, in terms of internationally competitive kind of city regions, agglomeration theory, and all that increasingly kind of outdated version of what the economy is going to be in the future. Um, the, the, 
those those um, those contradictions need to be resolved, and they need to be resolved quite quickly, actually, because we're going to find ourselves in a situation where we're not progressing that interesting stuff because of a continued reliance on some of that older stuff. And there's a challenge, isn't there? Because there's a balance to be had between the producing, the learners who are engaged, who have learning dispositions, who are you know keen to learn for life, but in terms of them having. Well, my day was those bits of paper, but now I'm probably you know, sure that they come through digitally. But having something that proves they have attained certain levels in certain areas in order to make them attractive to employers or to further study, wherever that may be, in terms of being the right people for the job. So it's always a difficult balance, isn't it, between the tension to have to have credentials and showing that you've done something and you've achieved X, Y, Z. And the actually being a well-rounded, resilient, useful, and hopeful future citizen. Yeah. I think when you speak to employers and you ask them what do they want in their sort of future apprentices, um, trainees, graduates, they're increasingly talking about the skills, confidence, resilience, um, and it's a challenge then for us in the FE sector of how do we build those skills. Mm. And I think a lot of it's down to the learning experience that the, we provide for the learners, not just within our institutions, but the opportunities through programmes like Erasmus uh, to take them out of their communities to experience, um, you know, what life and opportunities there are in other countries around the world and which potentially they could access in the future. It's just opening their eyes to what's out there, isn't it? And I think that's an important thing. You know, it's about enriching experiences, isn't it? Mm. As we've talked about in this in this work, um, you know, FE colleges have been very good actually over a very long time in terms of upskilling people. Um, you know, and I can speak from my own personal experience. You know, I left school um, with very little, uh, and actually went to what was then Neath College, um, now Neath but Albert College, and they turned my education around for me. And were it not for FE, I wouldn't have gone. Um, subsequently on to Cardiff University and got my degree. So FE colleges have been very good at that sort of thing um, and actually been very good at that sort of thing in terms of people like me who have come from you know, a, a fairly disadvantaged community um, in, in, in Port Talbot. Um, so um, I think FE has been very good at that. One of the things that I think we need to be doing more of, and, and you've indicated that in certain are doing some of this but potentially more of it is that we do need to enrich those experiences we need to broaden horizons i think um and we need to develop whole people um this isn't just about having i think a certificate at the end of a kind of two-year program or three-year program or whatever it is it's actually about transforming your your almost your world view to 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 um, in, enable you to have a, a kind of a lifelong appreciation of the importance of education. Have learners and the barriers and their aspirations changed over the course of the time that you've been at the college, Merthyr, particularly? I think what we've seen in Merthyr, um, and I, you know, I can't say whether it's definitely reflected across the every sector more widely in Wales, but we've seen that applications, for example, to higher education. Um, have remained quite static mm. but what we're seeing is increasing interest in apprenticeship routes mm. and I think mm. for, for learners coming from um, very deprived communities there is a real adversity to debt mm. um, and it's very difficult to get over mm. those um, 
preconceived ideas that by going to university you are going to come away with huge amounts of debt, despite a lot of the incentive schemes that HE are offering, bursaries and so on. Um, so I think it's looking at you know, what Welsh Government uh, and higher education can do to provide those uh, increasing opportunities for apprenticeships at varying levels, whether it be at level two, level three, higher and then degree apprenticeships, because they're increasingly um, being the sort of the go-to place for our learners. Mm-hmm. And something about apprenticeships that seems to me not actively involved in, in developing apprenticeships, but seems to me looking from the outside in, that are so incredibly positive. You know, there was always a lament, wasn't there? We lost all our apprenticeship programs and actually we, we're now regaining them. And that's that's a real success story, again, from someone looking from, from, from the outside in, as it were. Um, and that's really positive. Um, and, and they're very different apprenticeships, I know, today from what they were certainly during the kind of 1980s when I was growing up. And when I left school, I was offered an apprenticeship, you know, in the steel industry. And uh, um, much to my, my, my father's regret, turned it down. But um, I think he kind of accepted in the end that wasn't, uh, that wasn't probably the route for me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think there's something about enriching these experiences. And it doesn't necessarily mean, of course, that you have to do that via a kind of formalised traditional mm-hmm. academic route. There's nothing wrong with vocational education. Um, and, and for many people, that's an important thing. I think I, I, I did want to comment also on your, your point about debt. And, and I think you're right. Mm-hmm. You know, the context has changed. And one of the things that made it easier for me to go on this progression was that there weren't tuition fees. And I had a maintenance grant, you know, and I was probably one of the last of that generation where not only did I not pay tuition fees, but actually was given an allowance to actually pay for my living expenses as well. And and so, and I think that's an important point to make because this isn't just about um, the education system. This is about those broader contextual issues which have changed and have made it harder for young people to go on this transition. And, and actually, young people, but not people of all ages, I guess, to go through this transition. I think it's interesting because you you mentioned you know money and debt, and it's, it's about removing those barriers, isn't it? That you know that young people face, and you mentioned enrichment opportunities like Erasmus Plus. And I speak to Sean who works here, and she mentions that a lot of those learners might never have owned a passport in their lives. They might never have left their hometown. Mm-hmm. Going to Cardiff is yeah. is a big deal so i think it's definitely a massive thing to remove those barriers for those learners and make the world a little bit more easier to yes. get to for them and they can see the bigger picture then and then they can reach higher than they might might have thought before it's important that this isn't a question of ability um you know young people are able um to do this that, that, you know because you come from a more deprived background doesn't make you less intellectually able than someone from a middle-class background. This is about opportunity and it's about the obstacles that are in the way, the multiple obstacles that are in the way for working-class kids that aren't there for middle-class kids. And when obstacles do come up for middle-class kids, then their parents have the, if you like, the social capital to help them navigate around those issues, to overcome for them. We had a very interesting conversation when we launched this um, report uh, last week um, you know, about what benefits middle class children had, young people had, that working class people did not have. And one of those things was the ability of well informed parents um, to navigate around the system, um, but also to provide additional support through, you know, um, private tuition, etc., um, to top up, if you like. Um, and um, I think. 
the point I guess I'm making is that this isn't about ability. It's not even about parental aspiration, I don't think, actually. I think this is about actually the ability to support the children and young people from middle class parents to actually go on uh, an educational attainment progression route that uh, is much more difficult, I think, for young people in deprived communities. I think as well, though, you know, you're absolutely right in saying there there are, are as bright as um, learners from um, more affluent areas. But I think one of the ongoing challenges we have is, well, for example, when they're faced um, with the scenario of a very competitive um, interview environment, um, mm. whether that be in Oxbridge mm. or, or, or other environments, is that they are not phased um, by other candidates that may be there on the day who they perceive immediately to somehow have that sort of upper hand from the word go and that they don't withdraw into themselves in those situations and that they come out fighting in many ways so I'm as good as these people I deserve this place as much as that person mm -hmm. and that they're able to you know confident enough to be able to communicate clearly um, and to get those competitive jobs and those competitive university places. Mm, yeah. And I think that's ultimately why social mobility matters, isn't it? It's not about, well, you've got to leave this community mm. to succeed, yeah. Yeah. that you've got to leave those roots behind yeah. and move on and forget everybody behind you. It's about making a society in which everything is fair, that it doesn't matter whether you grew up in a deprived part of Merthyr or Patalbert or Llanelli or Bangor. It's about, it doesn't matter where you've come from, you can achieve anything that you want to and whether that is going to Oxbridge or whether that's kind of, I don't know, working in a health and social care environment mm. and dealing with people who are vulnerable and providing that support. I think there are issues over how we value certain types of profession, but social mobility is about making a fair system, not about telling people you can only succeed by getting out and getting away. Yeah, and, and, and you're absolutely right there. I mean, you know, this isn't about kind of deriding one career choice over another. This is about removing all the, the obstacles um, to people having the choice that they want. Um, and as and you say, Rachel, you know this isn't this isn't deriding someone who decides to have a career in I don't know plumbing or social care vis-a-vis someone who wants to be a university academic. You know, um, one isn't better than the other, and one doesn't necessarily make a more valuable contribution to society than the other. So this is it's not a judgmental thing. It's it's about barriers. I did also want to say just um, briefly as well. There's a, there's another issue here, and that's a spatial issue. Um, and there seems to be um, a fairly strong correlation between the extent of the barriers that exist for young people coming from particular deprived spatial locations um, and those from more affluent communities. That's, that's true, I think, um, certainly across the UK more generally, but it's certainly true here in Wales. And if you, if you look at kind of county-level data around educational attainment, there's a direct correlation between those more affluent counties in Wales and educational attainment and um, those communities in more deprived communities in, in, in counties across Wales. Um, and that's, that's clearly a big spatial barrier which, which we also need to address, I think. And I, and I think one of the important points I'd make is that FE colleges are particularly well-placed here because they exist in every county across Wales. Um, and Lisa, your own, you know, and, and Merthyr is, you know, is one of those deprived communities. Yeah. Um, 
but you know as an important anchor institution and a major educational kind of provider in that community that places you in a uh, you know obviously a, a difficult but also an extremely important position to help those young people on that transition yeah, it makes interest the point you made there, because of course that theme has been echoed by the recent publication of the Estin annual report, which echoes the sense that you know learners from deprived communities are underperforming relative to those uh, from you know non-deprived areas. And I think, like you say at the beginning, that's not something new. Mm-hmm. That has been the case for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lesson there. We need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Because if we're seeing that being reported annually every year for the last 10 years, if not longer, then we are doing something wrong and we've got to stop doing it Mm. and do something different and better. Absolutely. It's that whole more of the same isn't going to fix it. Yeah, and it's the same in any evaluation. You you find out where weak points are in order to you know grow and bet yourself the next time. But I just want to say thank you to everybody here today. It's been a really great discussion. And if you haven't read the report, can you get there from here? It's available on our website. And if you'd like to keep up to date with news and FE, please give us a follow on uh, Twitter and of course subscribe to our podcast. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.